0: Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, Grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Uh, Well, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. I'm really excited. We're coming down to the uh, final verse in our section. And so today, and then we'll have one more uh, session after this one where we're going to wrap up this entire section. Uh, But we've been looking at verses 4 down through verse 9. And talking about the Christian mindset, uh, what is the mind of a believer supposed to be? And again, <clears throat> I, th- I think I've said this countless times. But the reason I even got into this study was because, in the middle of all the craziness, and, you know, some time ago, I wanted to know—or maybe the craziness we're still in. <laughs> it probably—it hasn't left. It's just continued. <clears throat> but in the midst of the craziness, how is a Christian supposed to function? How is a Christian supposed to think? And so I said, okay. Well, if I if I'm going to know what the Bible says about thinking, well, I need to probably study this out. And so the passage that I just gravitated toward was Philippians chapter four, primarily because of the fact of verse eight, the think on these things passage. And so just to get the context, I started in verse four, and we're basically wrapping up the book in the other side of that book in uh, today and next time in verse nine. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, I want to read <clears throat> this entire section. Uh, this is Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4 and going down to verse 9, just so that we can have the full picture in our minds. Uh, this is what Paul writes. He says, Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Look at verse 9 again. Paul, again, summarizes and comes to a conclusion, and he says, As for the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I really love verse 9. And the reason I'm, I'm, I'm just so delighted in verse 9 is we live in a culture of do what I say, don't do what I do. I don't know if you look at just everything around us, but it seems like one of the major thrusts on, on television, on the news, uh, in politics, you know, all that kind of stuff is, uh, hey, just, just obey, just do exactly what I tell you, don't look at my life. In fact, I think that was greatly exposed during all the craziness of the last year and a half. Uh, you have all these people saying, don't do this! And then they would go off and go do it. And we just, we live in a culture where it's just like, just just listen to what I'm saying. Don't look at my life at all. And yet Paul is turning this whole thing on its head. And he says, do you realize that I've just given you these phenomenal exhortations in verse 4 down through verse 8? That you're to live in a certain manner. That you're to think in a certain direction And it's not that Paul says, now go do that, but just don't don't look at me. I love what Paul says. He says, hey, examine my life and do exactly what you see in my life. Uh, As you come to the passage, verse 9, he sets up this whole thing by giving four different words for the examination of Paul's life. And what's interesting in the Greek, and you don't see this well in the English, but in the Greek— the word kai, which is often translated and, is before each of these words. So it basically says, As for the things you have and learned and received and heard and seen. Now, in your translation, my guess is you don't have the word and before the first one because that makes no sense in English. But it's, it's, it's helping with the list thing in the Greek. And it's just profound to me that as he's, as he's setting this whole thing up, He's saying, hey, there are four things that you really need to consider in my life. He says the things you've learned, the things you've received, the things you've heard, and the things you've seen. Uh, Really quickly want to talk about those four things. Uh, The word there for learn uh, is the same word that we get this idea of. It's the same root as our word discipleship. So in the Greek, the word disciple or discipleship is the same root word as this word learned. Uh, in fact, this is the exact same word in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, hey, come to me, all you who are you know, heavy laden and just weary and just exhausted, and learn from me. That's this word. And again, that word learn has this idea of uh, to gain information, to be instructed, to have skills, to have the information. But it really <clears throat> is more than just the idea of being taught something. It's this idea of being discipled or apprenticed. And again, we don't live in a, an apprentice society. Uh, but, you know, back in the, back in the old days, uh, I wanted to become a, a blacksmith. And so what did I do? I go up to the blacksmith and I say, hey, dear blacksmith, uh, could you teach me what you do? And he says, sure, I will take you on as an apprentice. So why don't you go grab your things and I have a guest room and you can stay in my guest room. And I'd say, excuse- no, 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 you don't understand. I just want to do a nine to five and I'll come and you can tra- train me for two weeks And then you can give me a small project, and I'll just work on it, and then I'll become a master. And he would look at you and say, that's not how this works. See, if you're going to become a blacksmith, uh, you're going to have to move into my family's house. Uh, You're going to have to watch how I live. Uh, You're going to have to watch when I wake up. You're going to have to see the kind of breakfast that I eat. Uh, You're going to have to come down with me and see how I stoke the fires. Uh, You're going to have to see how I I do all this stuff. And apprenticeship is more than just being taught a series of lessons— apprenticeship is taking on the life. It's that kind of an idea. And you realize that biblically, <clears throat> you are called a disciple, which is not, hey, come to a program and learn 10 key things about discipleship. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You need to learn those 10 things. I'm making up the number. I don't know what the number is. But hey, you know, there's, the, there's nothing wrong with a program like Ellerslie. It is incredibly beneficial to have a season set aside to learn discipleship. But the word disciple in and of itself, has this idea of not just learning information, the idea of learning or discipleship is this idea of coming under and having the lifestyle of something. That, that, I'm, I'm, that I'm being an apprentice, that I'm, I'm taking this on, that this thing is consuming my life. And you realize that's what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus grabbed a whole bunch of these guys and said, hey, come be my disciples. This wasn't, hey, meet me down at the classroom, and we'll start at 9 o'clock, we'll take a lunch break, and then we'll be, we'll be done around 4 o'clock, and you can, you know, enjoy your evenings. This is live with me. Just, just give up your life, follow my life, and let's eat together, let's talk together, let's just, we are, we are doing this thing together. Does that make sense? So that's the concept in the Word. So if, if you realize what Paul's saying here then, he's saying, hey, you have learned something from me. Which is more than just, I gave you a bunch of information. That's true. But it's more than that. It's like, hey, we've been living life together, and you've been seeing how this thing is done, and you're seeing how I'm living, and you're seeing how I'm talking, and you see the breakfast that I eat, and you're seeing what a Christian life looks like. Uh, the, other, <clears throat> the next word that he uses is not just learn, he says, but you've also received. Uh, the word "they received." Let me let me give you a good definition. It's to formally receive authoritative teaching from an approved source. Bless the Lord. <laughs> uh, but it really has this idea to learn something. And what's really fascinating is that the emphasis on this word "receive" often is associated with this idea of learning something or receiving something through tradition. And uh, the reason I even think that's interesting is because this would, this would have been the, the word that was often used for how Jews passed on information, uh, that it was, it was a tradition thing. It was a, hey, come under and follow the tradition of the elders and, you know, the tradition of the, of the rabbis and the, and the tradition stuff. And I, and I love the fact that Paul even includes this in his list, almost to say it's not just Uh, It's not just the things that you saw in my life. It's not just the things that I taught you. This is like, this is even the tradition stuff that you've been just pulled into. And so it's that kind of idea. So again, it's this idea of instruction and receiving information from an authoritative position. But again, it has an emphasis on uh, what you receive through a tradition uh, or uh, that that flow of structure, if that makes any sense. Uh, Paul goes on and also says, not just the things you've learned, not just the things you've received, but also the things that you've heard. And again, this word hearing, you'll never guess what it means in Greek, has this idea of like hearing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's this idea of the things that I've, I've listened to. Uh, it's the idea, in fact, it's this idea of becoming aware of something. And what's interesting is, as I was looking at how this word was used throughout the New Testament, it was often, it seemed to have this emphasis in and of the uses, use, usages of it, where I'm not just listening to something The intended purpose of the listening is so that I would actually heed it and obey it. So it's not just like, well, went in one ear and went out the other ear. This is, I'm purposely, I'm leaning in and I'm listening and I'm trying to grab a hold of something. Why? So that I could actually like, yeah, so I can hear it. But more than just hearing it, I can actually go out and live this thing. Uh, A lot of scholars say that you realize what Paul is probably referring to is the things that you've heard him heard about in my life is either, A, these would be like the side conversations that Paul's had just in, in living life together. You know, it's like he would, he would stand up and he would teach a lesson and, you know, hey, these are the things you're learning, right? Hey, you're receiving these things, but you get done with the classroom setting and he's like, hey, let's just, let's sit around and, you know, have a hot dog and just like talk around the campfire and just, you know, just enjoy life and, hey, let's go throw a disc golf and because I'm sure he played. And, um, you know, just and, and, and he's, he's in this environment, and it's just in the casual reality of life. You're hearing him say things. And isn't it amazing how many golden nuggets you can get from somebody when they don't think that they're actually on, quote-unquote? It's just like you're asking questions, or you're overhearing them talk to just a friend, and, and like they say stuff, and you're like, mm, I'm going to write that down. That's good. So some, some scholars suggest it's probably that kind of stuff. Uh, the other scholars say, well, maybe it's actually more of the things that they heard about Paul, about his life and about his character. And, and you, you realize that probably was true in the, the New Testament world, that there's all these rumors, there's all these testimonies, there's all these uh, truths that were being passed around about Paul's life. Did you hear about that Paul guy who got hit in the head with a rock and they stoned him and he popped back to life and just went back into the city and it, do you, here's this man who's just been beaten over and over. Have you seen his back? Yeah, we went down to the beach one day, and he went out in his swim trunks, and wow, his back is horrible, which it would have been if you, okay, let's get off that. Uh, uh, yeah, I heard him say this one thing this one day, and yeah, there's this, there's this time that, you know, he's preaching, guy falls out the window, and yeah, we, we all thought about falling asleep, but not, not after that point, you know, and I mean, you just, and you, you just start hearing things about Paul, and so, so whether it's the side conversation kind of things, or, or whether this is the, the rumors—that's probably a bad word because rumor seems like it's a false thing—but uh, it's, it's the stories, it's the legends, it's, the, uh, it's, it's those statements, the testimonies of Paul's life that was being passed around. Uh, it's that kind of stuff seems to be the indication. And he says, not just the things you've learned, not just the things you've received, not just the things you've heard, but also the things that you've seen in my life. And I love this because it seems like it's the uh, one-on-one interaction stuff that someone is scrutinizing and looking at Paul's life. And he says, hey, you've seen stuff in my life that you've perceived it. You've understood things in my life. Why? Because your eyes beheld it. And when you start to look at the whole tone of the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in my life, you realize, again, what Paul's saying is not do what I say, don't do what I do, Paul is saying, hey, you can look at my life and everything that I just talked about is being lived out here. So if you want to know what that looks like down on your street, what that looks like down at your job, if you want to know what what this mindset looks like as you're living life, just look at my life. Look at how I think. Look at how I talk. Look at how I live. And you will see a demonstration of the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, Again, as you as you look at the very beginning of verse nine, it says, "As for th- for the things the things you have learned, received, heard, and seen." And it's interesting. Uh, some translations say, "Whatever you have learned, received, heard, and seen." And so some scholars say, obviously he's referring back to verse eight and the whole list of the whatevers. But the more I've I've studied this out and the more I've looked at this passage, I honestly this is just my personal opinion. I think Paul's not referring to verse eight. I think Paul's referring to verses four through eight. That it's a lifestyle thing. It's not just, hey, the things that you've seen in my thought process and lifestyle, he's talking about the whole thing he's been, the whole argument that he's been in the middle of. That as you go back up to verse four, he says, rejoice. And look at how I rejoice. Here I am, I'm in a prison cell in the middle of Rome, and I am rejoicing in the midst of any circumstance. So my joy is not based on circumstance. My joy is based on Jesus because he is the fullness of my joy. Don't you see that in my life, says Paul? So do that. Practice those things. Uh, He says, hey, look at verse five. Let your gentleness be known to all people. Well, haven't you seen my gentleness and the fact that I could demand my rights and I could demand what I deserve, but instead of that, I'm willing to overlook the offense that people have in my life. There's all these people who just are pushing back on me, all these people who are accusing me. There's all these people, but I'm, I'm not forcing my rights. I'm not just holding on to what I think I deserve. I'm, over, I'm willing to overlook that offense and actually extend mercy and love and forgiveness and kindness to those people and show gentleness rather than demand what I think I deserve. He goes, haven't you seen that in my life? Yeah, do that. Do, do, it, do it in the exact same way that I do it. Uh, hey, haven't you noticed that I live as if the Lord is near? And the fact that he's not just coming soon, because, hey, I've written about that. I mean, just read some of my other letters. I mean, I've written the fact that the Lord's returning soon. But it's more than just the fact that he's coming soon. It's the fact that his, his presence is near, and he's living inside of my life, and he's, he's sourcing the very life and attitude and language of my being. Haven't you seen that? Yeah, I live like that. Uh Hey, didn't I, I just told you in verse six, don't be anxious about anything. Haven't you seen that in my life? That it doesn't matter the circumstance, I could be on a shipwreck and I'm, I'm calm. So even when the, when the seas are storming all around me and things are going chaotic, hey, they're grabbing me and pulling me down to a, uh, to a court case. Hey, here I am and they're stoning me and they're throwing rocks on my head and I'm just smiling. And there's no anxiety in my soul. Haven't you seen how I live that way? Yeah, do that too. Haven't you noticed that everything that I do is with this prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and I just continually make requests to God? That that it's just like at every moment of my day, it's just I'm constantly praying to the Lord. Because, you know, I did write in another place that you were to pray always. Pray without ceasing. So haven't haven't you seen that in my life? And how when someone brings a request to me, I don't just say, oh, dear brother, I'll pray for that. But I actually pray for it. I mean, haven't you noticed that the burden of the church is so heavy upon my life that, that I'm just constantly making petitions and, and requests for the body of Christ? And that, that all these places where I've started churches, it's just they're constantly on my heart and my mind. And, and as such, there's just constant prayer just going, God, you've got to protect them. God, you've got to fortify them. God, you've got to just stir them. Oh, Lord, haven't you seen that in my life? Yeah, do that. And haven't you noticed that the peace of God, which is so mind-boggling and goes all beyond all comprehension. Haven't you noticed that the peace of God guards my life? In every situation, I, I can walk into any difficulty. I can walk into any heated debate. I can walk into any person and, and any trial and any circumstance and any tribulation and any temptation, and there's just a rust on my life. Why? Because I have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Haven't you seen that in my life, says Paul? Do that. I mean, haven't you seen my thought life? Haven't you noticed that the, even the way I think is marked by that which is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy things? Haven't you just noticed that's what my mind is just constantly focused on, dwelling upon and protected by? Yeah, do that. So as you get into the flow, I actually think that's the heart of what Paul is saying. He's not just saying verse eight, you've seen verse eight, but you haven't seen verses four through seven. That's ridiculous. His whole life was verses 4 through 8. So when you you get to the very heart of verse 9 then, and he says, hey, as for these things, well, what are the these things? It's everything that he's been writing about. And so these things that you've learned, that, hey, you've been apprenticed, that you've been watching, that I've been teaching, hey, the things that you've received through this instruction, but also the tradition thing. Hey, the things that you've heard about my life, the things you've even heard in conversations with me, and hey, even as you scrutinized my life and looked at it, hey, all that stuff that you've seen and heard, and do those things. And so again, there's this overwhelming emphasis in the passage of do what I do, not just do what I say. Wouldn't it be amazing if we as believers live like that? Uh, You you look at the modern church today, and and the thing that seems, at least what is in the uh, the culture's mind about the church is that we are a church full of hypocrisy. Uh, You're you're preaching this message, but then you're living this life over here. You say freedom is possible, but then you're in shackles. You talk about purity, but then you don't live very pure. You talk about marriage, but then your divorce rate is just as bad as the culture's. I mean, you're just, and we live in this duplicity in the, in, the, in the eyes of the culture. Wouldn't it be amazing to be a group of believers who could look at the world around and just say, look at my life. Do it. Yeah, but you're not Jesus. I know. But as I follow Christ, you could follow my life. Wouldn't that be interesting? And wouldn't it just be amazing if you could, you could be the testimony in this culture for what a Christian actually is supposed to look like and think like and act like and talk like, that if, that if someone was to scrutinize your life at any level, they would go, wow, you are a Christian. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see the duplicity. Right. I don't see any hypocrisy. Right. Now, does that mean you're perfect? No. We're growing. We are maturing. We are all growing and maturing. And I hate to break this. This is going to break some of your guys' heart. Even Sandy McConaughey is not yet perfected. She's close, <laughs> but she's not quite there yet. We'll give her to. We'll, we'll give her till till tomorrow. But, uh, but she's getting there. She's getting. Do you really? None of us are. None of us are Jesus, folks. We get that. And so, in that sense, is there perfection? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes, we. Do we fall in the mud at times? Yes, when we repent. Are you going to do this perfectly? I don't know, but it's available and it's possible. But wouldn't it be neat if your life in this culture was a demonstration of what the life of Christ is supposed to look like? You are an image bearer. I keep coming back to this, this, this thought of what does that actually mean? That in Genesis, when God created humanity— He made us in his image. And we are the image bearers. That when the world was to look at humanity, they were to see Jesus. They were to see the living God. Now, we're not the living God. Correct. (laughs) I'm not Jesus. Hey, we understand that. And yet, it's like the moon that reflects the sun. The moon has no light in and of itself, but the moon is an image bearer of the sun. And so the moon casts this beautiful light, but it's not its own light, it's the light of the sun reflected from it. You realize that's what you are. You are an image bearer of the king of kings. And he, he's invisible. So how, how's the world going to see God? You. So wouldn't it be amazing in our culture today if you could be an image bearer reflecting the reality of Jesus? That that your life would just demonstrate his life? Now, are you going to do it perfectly? Probably not. That's why we need Jesus. And we have his grace. But could the world look at your life and go, oh, that's how I'm supposed to live. Could the world scrutinize your life at any level and say, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Again, Paul in verse 9 says, As for the things, which I think is the entire list, the things you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, he says, practice these things. Put them into practice. Don't just talk about them. Do them. Don't just esteem the truth. Live the truth. By the way, this shows up in a variety of other passages. Uh, for example, since you need an example, uh, James 1 Verse 22, James says, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. Don't just hear the word, do it. Live this thing, obey it. That's the reality of the Christian life. We don't just esteem truth, we live truth. Uh, Or Matthew chapter seven, uh, Jesus is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount and he's coming to this conclusion and he gives a series of little stories. And uh, the final two, I think, are just fascinating, right? He's given this incredible articulation of the kingdom of heaven. What does a Christian look like? And as he comes to the conclusion of this whole thing, he says in Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, "'Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven who will enter.'" Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew. I never gnoskoed, if you know that word. I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness or evil. And then Jesus gives the, the final one. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it did not fall, for it, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And it fell, and its collapse was great. Isn't it interesting in these final stories on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, here are these people who have all these religious activities. I mean, they're, they're casting out demons, they're doing mir- mighty miracles, they're prophesying, and it's all in the name of Jesus. But when they get to the end, Jesus says, I didn't actually know you. And then he says, hey, there's, I'm speaking this language and all this stuff that I'm saying, if you just listen to it and don't actually put it into practice, it's like building your house on sand. Because both individuals heard, heard the words. They heard the message. But only one of them put it into action and was built upon a rock. So you understand, as we come to this idea of when Paul says practice these things, he's not just saying, well, will you esteem all this list? Hey, would you just, oh, esteem joy in your life, but don't have it? Hey, you can esteem gentleness, but don't worry about it. You don't need it. Esteem prayer, but hey, don't worry about doing it. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't just give it head nods. Don't just give it affection. Actually put this stuff into practice in your lives. Which is convicting. Because I can esteem truth. Woo, joy. Gentleness. I really like that concept. I just don't want to do it. And so, hey, I can, I can put a lot of esteem and affection into the word. I mean, I can study the word all day long and be like, amen, amen, amen. But that's actually not the definition of whether I actually studied a passage. The, the esteem of a passage or the knowing of a passage actually is fruitless. It's useless if we don't actually put it into practice. And Paul says, hey, you were to put this stuff into practice, and what's really neat about this word practice, it has this idea of ongoing progression. It has this idea of activity. It has this idea of not the accomplishment of something, but the progression of it. In fact, you even see it in the grammar, uh, that word there for practice, for all the nerds out there, uh, is a present active imperative. Contain your excitement. Uh, for those of you who are not nerds, what that means is that it's an imperative, meaning it's a command. So Paul's commanding you to do the to, to put it into practice. It's active, which means you are responsible to be doing this action. But it's in the present tense, and, and I've said this before, but in Greek the present tense doesn't just mean now, it's this idea of almost like the ever present tense, which means whenever it is present, this should be present. So so should you be practicing these things right now? Yes. What about right now? Yes. What about right, right, right now? Yes. So whenever you're in the present, this thing is supposed to be true. By the way, you're always living in the present. I know some of you are mm. <laughs> thinking you're in the past. Some of you are wishing you were in the future, but you are actually in the present. So this is to be true in your life. So there should be this ongoing practice. There should be this ongoing activity. There should be this ongoing reality in your life, which is defined by this entire list. That I, that I don't graduate from joy. I, I don't graduate from prayer. I don't graduate from gentleness. I, I don't graduate from putting these things into practice. My mind, when, when do I stop doing verse eight in my mind? Well, you know, last week I thought, well, I thought about things that were true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, but whoo, got that one done. Praise the Lord. That's not true. See, this thing is to be ever true in my life. That, that hey, my mind is always to be guarded. My heart is always to be pure. Hey, hey, my, my life is always to be joy-filled. Hey, I'm always to be gentle, which is, fr- I can be gentle when you're not around. Yeah, that's Easy. But when you show up, now I've got to just deal with my gentleness. But you realize that's actually when it's proven. So you've got to get the tone here that the reality of what Paul is saying is that this is not a one and done idea. This is an ever-present reality of your life is to be a Christian. And we never graduate from being a disciple. We are always in discipleship. We are always being apprenticed. We are always coming under. We are always... Allowing the life of Jesus to change us. So let me just ask a couple of questions as we just kind of bring this to a to a conclusion. What if I didn't just esteem truth in my life? What if I actually lived it? There's a tendency in the modern church that you know we listen to these sermons or we listen to podcasts or you know, we we listen to all this great content. We are we are content filled. We are consumed with content. And the problem is not the fact that we're listening to so much content. The fact that we're reading all these books and listening to all these podcasts and listening to all these sermons. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to downplay that because I love the time in which we live and the fact that we have access to all this stuff. I mean, never before in human history have we had access to the amount of content that we, that we have. And that is amazing to me. The problem is, I think for so many of us, we think that because we have the content, we're actually living it. Uh, do you know how many health books I have read over the last two decades? A lot. I can give you a lot of information about health and exercise and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to eat. But you could come up to my life and go, <clears throat> Nathan, Nathan, do you know a lot about health? I do. Have you looked in the mirror? Now, I, I'm, over the last few months, I've been slowly putting it into practice. I'm realizing, oh, Nathan, you need to actually lift this thing, not just esteem this thing. And, there, and I was getting tired of esteeming, oh, maybe next year. This is going to be the year. And then 10 years go by, and you're like, oh, that was not the year. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, this is my life. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. And so back, back in February, I said, okay, I'm done. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm, the, I'm not going to esteem health any longer. I'm going to start getting healthy. And so I gripped my teeth and paid for people to beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> and we're slowly progressing. You know, we're, we're moving in a good direction. But folks, you, you can read all the stuff you want to read, and you can, you can learn all the stuff you want to learn, but if it doesn't come into practical application, what good is the information? And that's, that's not just true in, in a physical sense. You realize that's very true spiritually. And we are gorging ourselves on information. I love reading books. I love listening to online courses. I love podcasts. I'm just, I am content-filled. But if you said, Nathan, how often do you take that stuff and actually put it into practice? That's convicting. And, and what if you determine that I'm never going to listen to another sermon again? I'm not going to listen to another podcast. I'm not going to read another book. Where at the very end of it, I don't stop for a few minutes and say, okay, so what? What does this actually change in my life tomorrow? What does this mean in my life for next week? And wouldn't it be interesting if... if and I have the tendency that the moment I finish one book, oop, oh, I start the next book because I got a stack of books. I got stacks of stacks of books to get through, and, and there's no problem with that. But again, I, I read so much books that I just presume because I have the information, it's actually applied itself. But what if I would pause and just before I go on, before I listen to the next sermon, before I just before I even go home from the parking lot at church, Lord, I just heard some great truth but what does that actually mean practically for my life? What if we wouldn't just esteem truth? What if we'd actually begin to live it? What would it mean for our world to see a whole group of believers who actually started doing that? Do you realize that would turn the world upside down? People who were not just esteeming the reality of Christianity, but who were actually living Christianity. Uh, here's another question for you: What if your life set the example in our world today for what a Christian's supposed to look like? Like, could you imagine God doing such a deep work in your life that when we said uh, we need a we need an example of what does it mean to rejoice always, you're the first name that's brought up? Uh, can anybody give an example of what gentleness looks like practically lived out? And you're like, oh yes, there's that you. Because you always live in gentleness. Uh, Does anybody know what it actually means to live by the fact that the Lord is near? Oh, I got an example for you. Yeah, what does it mean never to live in anxiety, but to live in everything by prayer? You. Does anybody know what it means for the peace of God just to, to reign in someone's life and to guard their hearts and their minds? Does anybody know what that looks like practically? Oh, I got a name for you. Uh, I know that thinking is so difficult in our world today. Does anybody have any idea of how to keep your mind guarded? And does, does anybody have a clue on what these words even mean? Hey, I got an example for you. Wouldn't it be interesting if you were the one who's setting the example in our culture today for what a Christian looks like, talks like, thinks like, acts like? By the way, if you were the example in our culture today, do you know what we'd have to call you? Yeah, we'd probably have to call you a Christian. Wouldn't we? Uh, Let me give you a few quick verses. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, you you know this verse. Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, don't don't let anyone look down on you because of your young or your youthfulness, but rather set an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity for those around you? Timothy, be the example. I know you're young, but why don't you set the example for what a Christian looks like? In everything. In speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Set the tone. What if that was you? Uh, Titus 2.7 says, uh, Paul says, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with, pure, with purity in doctrine, dignity. See, w- what if you were the example in our culture today? Uh, in 1 Peter 5.3, Peter's talking about the re- requirements of an elder, and he says, they are to prove to be examples to the flock. That, hey, if you're going to be in leadership, do you realize you are the example to those under you. And whether you think you're in leadership or not, do you realize people are watching your life? The younger kids always look at the older kids. The older, older kids look at, look at the adults. You realize someone is watching your life. And if you call yourself a Christian, then you have an onlooking world watching your life. What if you prove to be the example? Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, join, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Hey, just participate in being the, the pattern, the, the example. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-7. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, You also become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. He's, he's talking to the, the, Thessala, the Thessalonians, and he says, look, you should imitate my life and Jesus. And you're like, that's a little arrogant, Paul. Shouldn't it just be imitate Jesus? Yes. But you realize that Paul is so tied with Jesus that he goes, you could look at my life as a practical example of what it means to, to imita- imitate Christ. And then as you get in on this thing, you become an example to all the believers wouldn't it be interesting if that was true in your life? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 9, Paul says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined way among you in order to offer ourselves as a role model for you so that you would follow our example. Or 2 Timothy 1.13, Hold on to the example of sound words which you have heard from me, in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that your life is an example? Your life is declaring something. Your life is a testimony declaring something. It's either gonna declare sin and selfishness and in your own life and your own pride, but what if it could declare Jesus? See, what if the on-looking world looked at your life and just went, wow, you know, all those things that I learned and received and heard and seen in you. I, need, I just need to follow your example. See, just as Paul said, look at my life and follow my way of living, follow my teaching, follow my reputation, hey, scrutinize my life at any level. If you could get inside my mind and think how I think at any moment of the day, just do what I do. Could that be said of you? If someone could look at how you behave, would you want that modeled? I mean, or would you, would you want that imitated? Have you looked at how you talked? Would you want that imitated? If if you pondered how you think, would you want that imitated? We're Christians, folks. Which means we should be the examples to our world of what Jesus looks like in every area of our life. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11-1, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ that, hey, I'm pursuing Jesus and I'm running after him with a full aggression. So, hey, if you want to see what this looks like practically, just look at my life. Just imitate it. Could you say that to the onlooking world around you? Or would you have to honestly confess, well, don't look at that area and don't look at that part of my thought life and uh, maybe maybe ignore this motive and attitude over here and uh, you realize if there's things that you wouldn't want imitated, that's a good sign that those areas need Jesus. And I'm quite convinced all of us has at least one area that needs Jesus. For some of us, that area is everything. (laughs) Lord, take it all, take it all. Can I encourage you, though, whatever it would take for Jesus to get all of you, would you let him have it? Would you freshly come to Jesus and say, "Jesus, change whatever you want, do whatever you need to do"? Hey, if you need to embarrass me, if you need to just tear me down, if you need to strip things out of my life, if you need to transform anything in my life, I'm in because I want to look like you. I want to be an image bearer of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That if someone was to look at my actions, they see Jesus. If someone was to see my motives, they would see Jesus. If they would see my attitude, they'd see Jesus. If they could see how I speak, they would hear Jesus. If they could somehow get inside my mind, all that they would be overwhelmed with is Jesus. And then our lives become a picture of Jesus to our world. This isn't a grit your teeth and fake it till you make it and try to pull this thing off and all right, I'm gonna be more like Jesus. and That doesn't work. You can't, you can't fake your way into this. You can't imitate your way into this. The only way to live like this is you have to have the impartation of his life. The only way that you're ever going to be an image bearer is realizing that you're, you're not the image. You're just the mirror that's reflecting it. So quit trying to produce the light. Qu- quit trying to reach down inside your own pockets and trying to pull this thing off. Why wouldn't you just say, Lord, I surrender. And Lord, I just give you access to this, to this vessel and whatever you want to do in my life, I'm, I'm in. But Lord, would you take your life <clears throat> and would you get so involved in my life and my heart and my mind and my, my words and my, that you would just start pouring yourself out through every part of my body, that you would ooze from every pore of my, of my very being, that when the world looks at my life, they don't see me, they see you. Not because I am you, but because I'm filled with you. Will you just give Jesus everything afresh this morning? And if there's areas of your life that you wouldn't want imitated, would you freshly repent, lay those things down, and give them to Jesus? Wouldn't it be neat if the world saw you and said, Oh, I have to be a Christian. I just just have to be a Christian. Why? Because they saw you. And I don't want to be a person, I don't want to be a preacher who speaks a big message but lives a minuscule life. And some of the people that I most esteem is the people who don't just talk big, they live big. That they've been fully given over to Jesus Christ, that they showcase Jesus. And it becomes a, an example, a picture of what the life of Christ is supposed to look like. And if we had more times, I'd give you some examples. We don't have time. But wouldn't it be amazing if you became one of those examples? If you became a pattern, if you became a picture for this onlooking world of what a Christian really is? We need that. Our world needs that. Jesus. <clears throat> uh, Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul. That Paul wasn't just a super extraordinary person, and there's none like him. Lord, he was a man who was filled with the Spirit of God. And yeah, he did radical things, but it's because he had a radical God. And Lord, the same life that Paul had access to, we have access to. That Paul didn't have an advantage over us. Such a crazy thought. And if Paul could say, hey, follow my example, and hey, the things that you learned and received and heard and seen in my life, just do those things. Lord, could, be, could that be said of us? Lord, Lord, could we get so tight with you that the reality of Christianity would be so real in our lives that the onlooking world would go, wow, that's a Christian. And even if they didn't like what, is, what they're being seen, They could not escape the fact that there's still a God of the universe sitting upon the throne because they are being confronted by the reality of what you look like through our lives. And Lord, we understand we don't become God. Praise the Lord. Lord, we're not Jesus. Hey, we understand that. But Lord, through your Holy Spirit who lives inside of our lives, could you you fill up our lives? Could you get so big in us? Could you just... Would you over, overcome every area in our lives that doesn't look like you? Would, you? would you take every thought? Would you take every word that is spoken? Would you take every attitude? Would you take every motive? Would you take every action? And would you mold it and shape it and transform it until it looks like you? Lord, that doesn't mean we're passive. Lord, we need to walk in obedience. We need, we need to take steps forward and actually practice these things. We, we get that. But, Lord, the only way that we're, we're ever going to be able to pull this fully off is we need you. Because, Lord, I, I can't fake you. This isn't a smile and put on a facade and fake it till you make it. And this is I, I need the living God invading my life. I need the living God getting smack dab in the middle of my mind. I need the living God in, in the middle of my conversation and language. I, I need the living God pressing yourself out through my every action. Lord, as our world gets darker and more chaotic, what we need are Christians who are living as Christians. That it's not that we're just esteeming truth, we're actually living this thing out. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just nod our heads along this morning and just be like, yes, that's good, that's a great idea. Lord, could we live this thing Lord, I don't want to just esteem Christianity. I don't want to just esteem victory. I don't want to just esteem purity. I don't want to just esteem selflessness. I don't want to just esteem the the life of Jesus and not actually live it. Lord, I want the reality. I want someone to be able to look at my life and scrutinize me and watch me at any moment and just go, wow, that's what a Christian looks like. Oh, that's how a Christian talks. Wow, that's how a Christian thinks. So Lord, I fresh. I give you my life, and Lord. I just say, have at it. Whatever it is that you need to do, change, transform, produce, bring about in my life, so that you would be seen. I'm in. Lord, thank you that we are image bearers, that we're not the image itself, but that we have the privilege and the joy. the joy of showcasing jesus to our world and we get to be known as christians oh what an amazing reality so lord don't let us just leave a steaming truth we need you oh we need you we do love you jesus thanks for all you're doing in these days Give you all the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray.